Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and usually I'm here with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, but he is enjoying some sabbatical time. So I've invited my friend and fellow spiritual director, Reverend Adele Calhoun, to discuss her book, Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. Each week, we will be discussing a chapter from this transforming resource and looking at it through the lens of the invitations God might have for us, individually and in community, as we emerge from this life-shifting season of the past year and a half. Before we share this week's conversation, I want to let you know that we have revamped our patron program. We are now giving patrons regular, exclusive bonus content that can be downloaded directly into the podcasting app of your choice. You can find out more and sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash transformingcenter. If you enjoy what we're talking about here on the podcast and want to go a bit deeper with these conversations, the patron program is for you. And now, here is this week's conversation with Adele Calhoun on her book, Invitations from God. Well, welcome back to our third episode on Invitations from God, where we are tracking with Adele Calhoun's book, Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. Adele, so good to be with you again. I'm enjoying our conversations immensely. And this is going to be an interesting episode because the invitation here is the invitation to follow. And this is a topic that Adele and I have discussed throughout the years, (laughs) and we've even had different perspectives on it throughout the years. And so I'm thinking that we're going to bring some of those differing perspectives here to this conversation. But as we begin, I want to point out that even though this invitation is about followership, together we founded the Transforming Center, which exists to strengthen the souls of leaders. So clearly, (laughs) between the two of us, we think leadership is important to pay attention to as well. So uh, I don't think you can talk about followership without talking about leadership. So I'm pretty sure that we'll be going back and forth on this topic quite a bit. Adele, um, Tell us a little bit about how and where this invitation came from inside you, this invitation to follow. So I I was writing the book 10 years ago. And so one thing I want to say is it came out of my experience of being a woman in pastoral leadership, ministry leadership at that point for at least three mm-hmm. decades, almost four. And a lot of my experience, I would say, gave me reason to be, let's just say, concerned with all the male egos (laughs) I worked with and how their need to keep their ego uh, intact and front and center and how they needed to rise and be respected uh, often meant that the women in the room weren't heard or you would say something and, and it wasn't heard until a man said it and just... So a lot of my experience is about men leading in a way they couldn't listen or follow somebody else. So it, 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 it was a place to me of, if only these leaders knew mm-hmm. how to follow, they'd be yes. better leaders. And now looking back, I, I believe, I still believe that. And I think it's really part of, uh, the white experience, my my, and maybe for some women in other cultures too that have a a, a gender 
experience in, in Christian ministry, but the particularly the following piece, having done spiritual direction with people of color, particularly African-Americans, this is not a good message, <laughs> you know, to follow means serve me. And so I would say, if I was writing it today, I would have to talk about what it means in different ethnic circles to lead. And there's just different views of authority and in different cultures and what makes a person an authority. And I think yeah. those need to yeah. be addressed as well. Yeah, well, it was interesting to read, you know, like I said, I read this book when it came out, you know, because it was a transforming resource and I interacted with it 10 years ago, just like you wrote it 10 years ago, I interacted with it 10 years ago. So to pull it back out and to look at it again for our conversations, I had some feelings of discomfort, you know, wondering how does this invitation to follow fall on women's ears when they've been told they have to, that they, that, that all they can do is follow and that they can't lead. And then, and, and as you mentioned, persons of color, oppressed peoples whose, you know, those who were oppressing actually used the language of servanthood and followership to, to, to craft a whole identity around just serving their needs. And, um, and then even in our time right now where we've seen some really bad leadership recently, it has brought to the fore again for me this concern that I have about leadership and the quality of our leadership and how seriously what we must take our responsibilities as leaders. And then even my desire to see leadership right now, especially as it has to do with the places of racial unrest, the racial reckoning, that the longing to see a spiritual leader like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. rise up and mm -hmm. galvanize people towards a spiritual approach to these things with some authority, you know, some inner authority. So I found all of that sort of roiling around as I was was reading this. And I'm really grateful that because mm -hmm. we've been friends for so long, we can say these things right here at the outset so that it actually even provides some context for a real conversation about followership. Because you do make mm -hmm. the, the really important point at the very beginning that Jesus' first invitation and his last was, follow me. And so we can't set it aside for any of the reasons that we've just mentioned. And yet the things that we just mentioned have to be taken into account as we talk about followership. So what I'm thinking is that this right. invitation to followership is really going to be a discussion about followership and leadership because I think you're also mm -hmm. talking about leaders' ability to be followers of Christ as they lead. And as you and I have dug into this message more that really resonates deeply with me, that one of the greatest needs for leaders is to see themselves as followers, followers of Jesus, people who are in mutually influencing relationships with others who are around them, the ability to follow others who have wisdom, that, that there's a, a huge followership component to good leadership. And so we'll just, let's just, let's just accept the fact that there we're going to toggle back and forth between followership and <laughs> leadership yes, and and see fine. how that goes. So I want to I want to land on this uh beginning of your chapter where you talk about Jesus first invitation and his last invitation is to follow me. What do you make of that? Why do you see why do you think that's so important? So for me it's important because everything in our culture is about mm -hmm. not being a follower. It's about go where nobody's gone before, you know? It's charge ahead, lead the way. And from the time we're little, it's almost like, um, particularly boys, though more and more women now are, mm -hmm. you know, become a leader, be the captain yeah. of the team, be the, 
there's this sense that I'm nobody unless I'm a leader. And then there's all of the uh, jillions of organizations that are supporting, encouraging, and developing leaders. And so there's, there's, I think, a sense in lots of people, well, I'm just a follower, I'm nobody. And so for me, it's the, the whole vocation of following Jesus and what it means to be a follower goes mm -hmm. missing often in the discussions on leadership. Right. And it's all about you and your skill set. Right. They're following their ego impulses to be something. And their skill set. They're using it. And and the Holy Spirit thank the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can use them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's yeah. not. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have been around church cultures where the leadership gift was the one that was the most valued. And if you had that gift, then you were seen, you were cultivated, Absolutely. you were affirmed. But if you didn't have that gift, it didn't matter whatever else gifts you had. They could not never be as valued as much as the leadership gift, which is just a travesty. And I remember back then when you were doing this writing and we were talking about this subject that we were, we talked about the leadership culture that we were either in or close to and how the leadership gift was valued over other gifts, right. which is just not even biblical. I mean, the, the gifts are given equally by God and can't be valued more highly. Nope. One gift. I mean, the scriptures speak against that so powerfully that the, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, we have no need of you. And so I can also see how back then in particular, I think we were reacting to this overvaluing of the leadership gift with no emphasis at all on followership mm -hmm. and particularly followership of Jesus, even as we lead. So I, I really appreciate you calling our attention to that. Right. You talk about the fact that following requires humility, risk, attention, awareness, and guts. What's the risk of following? What are the risks associated with following? Well, I think the risk is mm -hmm. um, going mute yeah. and not mm -hmm. having your own opinions, being yes. a blind follower. That's a risk to your soul. And, and I realize that we have many points of view among our listeners around what happened on January 6th. But one of the things that struck me about January 6th was that it, it there was a significant piece of, uh, that, of it that was about followership. Who people chose to follow, how they chose to follow, whether or not they were thinking about what was right and what was wrong. It was almost like they suspended their own moral judgment. I, I don't know that I've, and I thought of you when I, when I watched the insurrection and I thought of this conversation that we had been having about followership all these years. And I realized this is not only about leadership, this is about followership and how a certain group of people chose to follow and who they chose to follow on that day. And I saw followership more clearly and our responsibility yes. I, I couldn't as followers couldn't more. And, um, as much as our responsibility mm -hmm. as leaders. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and as followers, where do, am, am I buying into some group think, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. where, where have I become part of a, um, a, a mob, a mass mm -hmm. that has given me an identity. And I, I stopped thinking, I just yeah. identified and, I wonder how many people even thought I have the possibility of getting arrested. We, you know, how many people thought about what they were doing? I've right. read, I've read some pieces. I know they weren't thinking. 
<laughs> yes. They didn't expect what happened to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think to to put place some seriousness on this issue of followership is, is really important. Um, so you make the point that Jesus was among us as someone who serves, and there are so many examples of that, and particularly the Last Supper and his washing of the disciples' feet, that he was serving his 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 own disciples up until the end. And yet in that in that same time, he did begin a worldwide movement that would continue to have followers mm-hmm. to this day. How do you see followership and leadership together in the life of Christ? So even what you said, you know, yet he started a worldwide movement. Um, and yet he died looking like a failure. Yes. Yes. You know, he, it wasn't that he galvanized this huge group of people to follow him by the, I mean, his, his death was in a sense, if the Holy Spirit hadn't come, you know, what would have happened? Who, it wouldn't have lasted. So I feel like there is this sense that Jesus says, I do only what I see the Father doing. Mm-hmm. That he, as a human being, is following his Father's direction his whole ministry and and satan right from the beginning said hey i can i can make you a leader you don't have to go through all all the crap that's ahead of you Mm -hmm. i can do this for you today all you have to do is worship me you can have it all here it is and that trap i mean peter gives him that trap it's again and again Mm -hmm. you could you can have it all you can be that leader on top just follow your ego Mm -hmm. and jesus said to peter you know you're a stumbling block to me. Mm-hmm. That that appeals. That appeals. I could stumble over that. I'll be that kind of a leader. Mm-hmm. I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll set up a kingdom. So I feel like you see in Jesus' life, his his conscious awareness of the pitfalls of his own ego and where he could go with it. And using his divine prerogatives for himself mm-hmm. rather than for the sake of others. Yeah. I wonder what would happen, you know, in all of us as leaders, if we were to really name that as such a profound seduction. And the fact that if, if in Jesus' life, that temptation and seduction was always right around the corner, spoken through the mouth of even some of our most faithful people, mm-hmm. um, would we be more vigilant, you know, in watching for that particular temptation? And what difference would that make? Well, we we were talking a little earlier about listening. I think, I mean, we we know that good leaders listen, mm-hmm. and yet if you're a leader, you also know that you want to get things accomplished and done. Yeah, and listening can be such a a slow thing. And yeah. Jesus was such a good a good listener. I I even think about you know his first miracle at Cana of Galilee and how. His mom said to him, they don't have any wine, you know, suggesting that he do something about it. And he says, you know, woman, my time hasn't come. So he knew his time hadn't come. Mm-hmm. He says, no. Yeah. And then, you know, does the Holy Spirit flick him on the ear? You know, what happened? Mm-hmm. He changed he his, mind. his mind. Mm-hmm. He changed yep. his mind because he listened and he didn't do what he said he was going to do. Mm-hmm. He did something else. And he does that multiple times. The sense of changing he does it with the Syrophoenician woman. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm called only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
And she says, yes, but blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he says, yes, but blah, 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 blah. And she says, yes, mm-hmm. but blah, 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 blah. And he says, okay, woman, mm-hmm. because you said that. Mm-hmm. And it's this sense of in real time, I'm listening, mm-hmm. I'm interacting, and I'm going to do for you what you said. Yeah. Relationships of, of influence then, allowing oneself to be influenced, influenced. by others in the best sense of that word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the best sense of that word. And to be interrupted by others. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's really hard for leaders yeah. too, to feel like they're being interrupted, stalled, delayed. Yeah. Jesus could, could handle all that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I saw him, I see Jesus as being comfortable in his role as a rabbi and a teacher. Yeah. Absolutely. Letting people sit at his feet and learn from him and holding forth and giving major, <laughs> major teachings, you know. And yeah. sometimes I wonder if he ever had thoughts like, wow, all the, you know, when he talked about, he saw the, the crowd in the, in the feeding of the 5,000 as, as sheep without a shepherd. You know, if he ever sat and looked at the people who were listening to him wide eyed, if he ever felt that sense of responsibility that leaders feel from time to time, say, these mm-hmm. people are really listening to me. They are really allowing themselves to be influenced by me. They are leaving their jobs and coming to to follow me. This better be good. <laughs> 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 that there's a place at moments oh. where each and every one of us have to kind of own it and say, yeah. "This is this is where I am. This is what I've been given. This is what I'm here to do." So, dag nab it, I'm going to do it to the best okay. of my ability. You know. Um, so it's all that, isn't it? It's never only one thing. It's not. It's, it's never not. only one aspect of of our life in leadership. Um, but I really do appreciate your emphasis on leadership as being followership of Jesus. And that if we get too far in our leadership from knowing ourselves to be followers mm-hmm. of Jesus, then we are going to get off track significantly and seriously and very soon. Adele, what happens when you're, you know, in a group and you're allowing yourself to, to be led Maybe there's mm-hmm. another senior leader and you're an associate or something like that, but it's going in a direction that you don't really fully agree with. What What are some of our options then? What are the invitations then? So I think it's a great question, Ruth, because almost all of us get in situations sooner or later as we're moving through leadership in various organizations that the leader in charge is making calls or things that we don't agree with mm-hmm. or that we find difficult and and it raises the question of are these value questions are they things that i can be comfortable with are they honoring to the people are they bringing the fruit of the spirit is this ego you know all of all of those discernment questions and so the the question to me comes can i stay here and be the loyal opposition mm-hmm. meaning can i hold my ground and say my truth mm-hmm. in a non-confrontational um take down the leader way yeah. and still be supportive. And yes. they'll come up, there are places where that can't happen. Mm-hmm. And then that means I need to leave. I've, that's the first time I've heard you use that phrase, um, loyal opposition, and I really like it. And I think that that may be another invitation here for us to consider, right? In a moment, am I being called to lead? Am I being called to follow? Am I being called to stay and be loyal opposition? And to see that as a positive thing, you know, to see that like, you know, for you, Adele, I mean, you are such a beautiful presence that by your willingness to stay and to still hold your ground, 
but to stay as your beautiful self, there's an opportunity for everybody to grow versus if you just that's walk right. away and take your marbles and say, I'm not going to play here anymore. Mm-hmm. But, but, but that's an invitation and God's not going to force it. But I think it's really good to articulate that as a real option mm-hmm. for us um, in certain situations where and, someone else is leading and we're following. And I think it's really good for the leader mm-hmm. to have to learn how do I respond in grace to the loyal opposition or is this feel like an attack on my ego Mm -hmm. you know do I feel unsupported do Mm -hmm. do I start to make it about that person yeah or can I listen to their position and say okay we disagree here but we're headed in the same direction that's good leadership Mm -hmm. right right Well, let's talk for a minute about this very, very difficult issue in our time right now about the fact that sometimes we choose to follow leaders that actually end up disappointing us. And I don't think we've ever been in a time when there's been so much disappointment. And this comes up, this comes up all the time in conversations that I have with pastors. They just don't know what to do with their disappointment about having been disappointed by the leaders that they chose to follow and that they chose to invest a lot of time and energy and money in following that leader's path. And then the leader disappoints and fails them. And this is so broad right now. It's, it's, it's the Christian denominations, Mm -hmm. it's Catholics, it's, you know, it's, it's across the board right now that there's profound disappointment in the leaders we've chosen to follow I, we have to make that a part of this conversation. What do we do when we have chosen to follow, but we are profoundly disappointed by what happens in the life of that leader? So one of the, I think, temptations, I'd be interested, I'd be interested but to think of this. <laughs> I think one of the profound temptations to a leader is the temptation to feel the, that the rules don't apply to them. Yes, that there's some way in which they're special. Mm-hmm. And again, this is all ego. but And mm-hmm. it's very subtle because it, it's not like they go around thinking, the rules don't apply to me. It's it's not that. It's just that in the, in the everyday kinds of things, they're so caught up, I'm going to say, in a persona of being mm-hmm. a leader. And it, when you're in the persona of, of image, you can't, anything that is dark, and uh, egotistical in you, you you just push aside because this is who you are, this shiny thing out here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's the that temptation to say this doesn't apply to me starts to grow and grow and grow yes. until I start making decisions from that place of huge blind rationalization. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's striking about that particular characteristic, the rules don't apply to me, that is also a characteristic of narcissism as a personality mm-hmm. disorder. Um, <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that I can, I'm above it, or I can fix it, or I can hide it, or I can get all of my minions to make this go away. I mean, there's there's a narcissistic piece of that as well, which is really, really striking. Uh, and that's hard to talk about, but it is a characteristic of celebrity Mm -hmm. and all of that it's very very sobering and so in some ways it's not surprising but it's still really really painful and i'm i'm gonna say say this and and you can push back Mm -hmm. i feel like leaders who have learned to follow 
are safer mm -hmm. than agree. those who who don't know how yeah. to follow. They don't know how to listen to their their board. They don't know how to listen to their experts. They don't know. They always know what what's right. And I mean, and that goes into the political realm that we've just been through. You know, we had a leader who who couldn't listen to his his experts, his advisors. His he couldn't follow their suggestions. Mm -hmm. Couldn't trust their wisdom. Couldn't trust their and and he knew that that's the the narcissistic. I I know I I. And I think that's really true. And what was ironic in, in listening to that is that um, you've mentioned a collaborative style of leadership. Um, that's my bent as well, which is why the Transforming Center is what it is. It was started as a community, mm -hmm. a, a, you know, a, mutual, a set of mutually influencing individuals on a journey together. And sometimes I even have felt it was a weakness to want to work collaboratively, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, to try to cultivate a group who could be in community and listen that way to each other. And so it's, it, it, it reminds me too that it can be kind of uncomfortable because a certain kind of leadership is really what is, is elevated. And that's the person who knows where we're going. They're going to lead out really strongly and they tell right. everybody else what to do. That, that is a style of leadership, but it's not the safest to your point. Nope. It is safer <laughs> to be. We both uh, know that. We both know that. Um, and even though it might seem like it's weaker at some point, there's yes. a strength in it mm -hmm. that is very counterintuitive, I think. And and we could even say that women in general tend to want to work more mm -hmm. collaboratively than men. There is a little bit of a. I don't want to be too stereotypical, but I do know that that many women do prefer collaboration. Right, and right. that I think that's something that positive that women actually bring to leadership and bring to the workforce is their desire to be to work collaboratively. Yes. And there are some really great men out there too that love to work collaboratively and it's wonderful to to be in that kind of a setting. And now Steve and I would like to take a moment to share a little bit about another way you can go even deeper on your spiritual journey around the themes we're discussing here on the podcast. We'd like to tell you about our transforming communities. Transforming Community is a practice-based spiritual formation experience with nine quarterly retreats. The Transforming Community Experience is designed to integrate your spirituality and your leadership and help you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. I was a part of TC6 way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. It is really hard to explain all that happens in this two-year, 27-month experience. So over the course of this season, we're going to be inviting different ones of our alums to share about what their transforming community experience meant to them. So here's what this week's alum has to say. I was at a uh, particular time in my life where I am currently serving as an elder at our local church. We were going through a huge and significant leadership change from our senior pastor. It was one of those leadership changes that nobody saw coming and we were kind of saddened that it was occurring. And so it put me in a place of uh, being involved in a pastoral search team, in addition to also uh, dealing with a church community that was really hurting at the time. I started exploring the Transforming Center information online 
uh, fell in love with everything I was reading. And over time, I just realized this, I needed to do this. So really, I think what this journey had, had been for me was a time to be able to strengthen myself so I could walk in a space that could support the various leadership requirements and stressors that I was faced with. I learned the gift of the discipline of silence and solitude. I learned the gift of finding my place in the scripture. And without question, through the disciplines and knowing that our, the disciplines don't save us, but they create space to be very sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I really came in contact with the Trinity in a way that I never had before. And I began to see this uh, incredible transformation in my life as I began to practice these disciplines as a rule of life. So these are rhythms that I want to continue. And I recognize it's, it's critical for me to function as a transform effective leader from some of the tools that I've learned. So you can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and to apply to the next transforming community. And now back to my conversation with Adele on invitations from God. So when we've been disappointed in someone that we've chosen to follow, what do we do? Boy, what a question. Mm. What a question. What do we do? So there are lots of options. I, I think, you know, you can start talking about them. <laughs> you can try to take them down. You can. So there's always that, you know, there's the gossip mill. There's the naysayers. There's always people who will, I'm disappointed in you. I'm, I don't care that you're saying sorry. I'm just going to. So mm -hmm. there's, this is not safe for me. I'm drawing a boundary. I'm not, you know, I think that's a, a totally healthy thing to do at times. This this leader's not safe. This is a toxic environment. I'm going. I think there's the inner work that says, am I disappointed? So, so two things. I think sometimes we put expectations on people yes. mm -hmm. that they aren't ever capable of mm -hmm. doing. And that's our own. I, I, I feel for pastors here because everybody in your congregation probably has been in a church where they had somebody they loved. And they came to your church and they want you to be that person. And so here are all these people projecting mm -hmm. their ideal pastor onto you, their ideal youth minister onto you, their ideal... And you're, you're wearing all these projections and you're just you. Mm -hmm. And so you inadvertently disappoint people. And so there has to be some level of maturity, wouldn't you think, Ruth, in order to begin to deal with? Yeah. There's some spiritual work to deal with that kind of disappointment that's expectation driven. And then the mm -hmm. disappointment that is true moral failure or hurting yeah. the body mm -hmm. of Christ. Right. And. What would you say, where would you tell people to start who are dealing with true, this, this true disappointment that isn't about a super high expectation or mm. their well, own Well, I think stuff. a lot of these invitations actually pertain to that moment. I think there is the need to go ahead and grieve it and weep. Like, mm -hmm. don't pretend this is not a big deal because it is. And you need to do the work of crying the tears and screaming the rage and all that. I mean, in the right place, you know, whether right. it's with a therapist or a spiritual director or something to really talk about what this disappointment means to you. There's no substitute. I wish there was a shortcut. 
around that. But I think when we hit these places that are just so grievous and that hurt us so badly, there's no shortcut around doing the grief work mm -hmm. and the anger work. Because at some point you do get through, you do, you do start to move through it when you've had the freedom to talk somewhere with somebody about how this has impacted you and to do some of the work of, of, of grieving and pulling down your own idealization. You might, you know, there might still be some of that, even though the person might have failed morally. There's also the possibility that inside you, you had them on too high of a pedestal. Mm -hmm. If you thought this couldn't happen to them, you had them on too high of a pedestal because none of us are above these sorts of failures. None of us are. And then I think we open ourselves. I think prayer is really important where we open ourselves to say, God, I don't want to continue to live in fear and disillusionment. We need to cry out for the healing that we talked about in the last mm -hmm. episode. Mm -hmm. I don't want to carry this this way. I want to be healed from this disillusionment. And I want to be able to trust again. I want to be able to trust another leader again versus letting this just live inside of me as an unresolved mm -hmm. thing. And, you know, if maybe we even feel like there's a need for forgiveness, that we need to, mm -hmm. to, to do the process of learning to forgive this person, especially if we were close to them and they failed us in some sort of personal way, if, there was th if, if they lied to us personally, you know, if they hid right. things from us personally. Mm -hmm. There will be a need to do the work of forgiveness relative to that mm -hmm. person. And, and obviously forgiveness is a gift and we've got that invitation coming. I can't mm -hmm. wait to talk about that one. Um, we can talk more about what the process of forgiveness is, but that might be our work too mm -hmm. as, as a part of our healing. So, and I, I just pray that we can take time to do this work rather than, like I said, papering over it and going on. I think some people have some really big work. One pastor spoke to me recently at a retreat and just asked me with so much pain how, you know, how he was supposed to process his, his sense of disappointment in a leader that he had respected and followed for many, many years in his ministry. And it was in some ways very precious to mm -hmm. have him express such tender pain because mm -hmm. I felt like, well, there's hope for you. If you're asking that question, it's true. <laughs> there's it's hope true. for you because you're being honest about how it is affecting mm -hmm. you and you know you need to do some work about around this and you will and God will lead you. Mm -hmm. I think also there's there's something beautiful that I, I, I feel more drawn to than ever before and it's just the beauty of our humanity mm -hmm. and how fragile yeah. and vulnerable it is and that because in some cases we're christian and we we can have this idealized idea yeah of who who we are and and just as you were saying you know this this precious pastor who was just being so human mm -hmm. and with his pain that if we as leaders can manifest our humanity right i think it it helps take down the image and the persona. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as hard as it might be to actually be compassionate and tender towards the fragility of the person who has failed us on some level mm -hmm. to say they were, they are human too. And this is, mm -hmm. this is their journey of being human mm -hmm. and pray for them if we can, when we can, as we're mm -hmm. able to pray you know, for God's goodness and God's work in their lives too. 
Well, um, I do want us to get to one more really important subject here, Adele, about this invitation to follow, and it has to do with, we've touched on it in the beginning, but I want to go back to it and deal with it a little bit more substantively, and that is to unpack a little bit more how leading and following affects our relationship to money, sex, and power, and particularly power, because so much of what we're dealing with right now seems to relate directly back to power. Um, and if we could say misuse of power, abuse of power, um, an unevenness in how people have power in our culture, what does accepting God's invitation to follow mean in the, pa- in the face of people who have been oppressed or marginalized, people who feel powerless, who have been told to follow in ways that have been detrimental to them? And I would include women in this. I would include people of color in this. Then you've got women of color who have got double oppression going on. How does leadership and followership hit the ears of people who've had those kinds of experiences and have felt like all they've ever been asked to do is follow? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about Richard Rohr, and I listened to him again recently where he did this fascinating work on the difference in men's and women's journeys around ascent and leadership and descent and followership. Do you think that God's invitation to lead or to follow falls differently on us if mm-hmm. we're one gender or the other, one people group or another, um, given the overemphasis on followership to some of those people groups? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and yes. Tough stuff, um, isn't it? So complicated. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I have. I, I know I don't have answers mm-hmm. for all of this. But Doug and I have done some consulting with church networks that are made up of very ethnically diverse groups of people, and you know, we've heard, for instance, a, a black man who's a leader in a Christian organization say, "I'm an eight on the Enneagram, but I can't be an eight because a black eight man mm-hmm. is unsafe. Yes. Where white." Yeah. Mm-hmm. man eight is successful and honored yeah it can be and the savior of everyone you that's know? <laughs> right and we we both have the same amount of power mm-hmm. yeah. but i have to dial my power back even mm-hmm. though i have it i have to dial it back and so then it doesn't feel like power you yes. know and so i think there's a lot of nuance and work that we have to do and if the message uh, i just think about that we shall overcome message we won't mm-hmm. always be the oppressed. We won't always be the one who's who has to follow. And I think about the African American communities who have set up their own churches, well, so they can have the, develop their own leaders because they know they're not going to lead someplace. I mean, mm-hmm. so they develop this parallel place where they can they can have some power and agency. And I think it's it's a, it's sad that we. Yeah that we can't do that together. Yeah, and I think that that makes me want to nuance this message here at the end and to say that God's messages to each of us at different times and in different places, depending on our life experience and our experiences in our bodies, may be slightly different. We are, you know, in the midst of a hiring process here in the Transforming Center for a, for a significant leadership role. And one of the things we talked about in in talking about our process and our director of HR brought this even more clearly to my awareness. and I really appreciate it is the difference in the ways that men and women interview and candidate Mm -hmm. for a position that men overstate their ability to lead and women always understate. They're always uncomfortable with their, their, their leadership and often understate and underplay the leadership that they have and that they would like to bring. So my goodness, what in the world, you know, yeah. There's a time in a young woman's life where it is a it is time for her to step up and say, I can lead and I mm-hmm. want to lead. And mm-hmm. that's the healthiest thing she could do 
at that point. And if you're an older woman or an older male, the best thing you can do is to say, yes, I want to develop your leadership and you're right to want to develop your leadership because it's something God has placed within you. But I remember as a young girl growing up in a very conservative and fundamentalist church environment, the young men who wanted to lead, everybody was ecstatic <laughs> when right. a young man showed any any kind of capacity for leadership. But if a woman, a young woman, a teenage woman showed capacity for leadership and wanted to lead, she was called rebellious and stepping outside God's preordained place for her. So I I have those experiences in me where I just saw the young men ushered into leadership and everybody was so thrilled. And if a young woman wanted the same thing, um, it was seen as being something very, very different. So this this issue of leadership and followership is very, very nuanced. And Mm -hmm. it's a place of deep, deep listening together, even to life experience and life stage and developmental stages. And what's really appropriate here to to encourage and mm-hmm. what are the invitations of God to me in these moments and i just hope we all have good spiritual directors <laughs> <laughs> to help us discern what god is really saying in these moments um and, and can i matters. say one other thing yes you can so i think in leaders there's personal authority and positional authority mm-hmm. yes I just think we need to drop that in there because mm-hmm. you may not have a position and you can have great personal authority mm-hmm. and leadership. And it's great when that is acknowledged and, and you're offered positional leadership, mm-hmm. but there are people with, so that's all, all I want to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I would say too, you know, I talk about it as inner authority. Richard Rohr talks about it as inner authority that comes from experience and maturity mm-hmm. and things like that. There, it's a it's a it's a pretty good situation for leaders and followers when the leader has both. That's right. When the positional authority and the inner authority really do match up, and Amen. I pray for more of that, where it all comes together together in the leader who's leading. Because how good is that when that mm-hmm. happens? It's good for everyone involved. Well, Adele, help us to listen. Give us some practices that will help us to notice and discern when God is inviting us to follow versus lead or vice versa. I think that'd be a really great place for us to conclude. How do we discern those invitations from God? So I'm going to name three S. Okay. Or maybe four S disciplines. I'm going to say silence and solitude. Mm -hmm. Who are you when nobody's looking? Yes. Can you be listening? Mm-hmm. Silence and solitude. Secrecy. Can you be confidential? Can you not talk about what, what you've done, where you've been, who you are? Can you let the ego be small? Mm-hmm. And then Sabbath. Can you rest? Mm-hmm. Because you need to lead out of a place of connection and union with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can add another S. You could slow. You need to go slow. I mean... Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you recognize destiny, moments when what God is calling you to do is just yours to do? I have been so struck. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of my heroes. I know he's not perfect, and yet his spirituality and the way that informed his leadership and his activism has been something that's just stirred me for years. Like, I read his book, Strength to Love, once a year because of the integration of his life in leadership with his spirituality and with his pulpit. The fact that he was an ordained minister and did what he did as an ordained minister. I'm just riveted by that. One of the thing, There's so many things about his life that, that are um, intriguing and inspirational to me, and one of them is the place where he says, I don't march because I like to. I march because I must. 
the moment when he understood that his leadership in the civil rights movement was his destiny. And that's how he understood it. It mm-hmm. wasn't something he sought. It just, there was a moment when he knew that it was his destiny. I think for, and, and I think Moses was the same way. He didn't want to lead. He didn't seek it. In fact, he tried to give it to somebody else. But God said, no, this is yours. I'm putting, this is yours. And finally he accepted it. How do we recognize moments like that? Mm-hmm. That when it's not ego, it really isn't ego at all. It's a sense of destiny. This is what God has given me to do. And I simply must do it to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Do you think everybody gets a sense of destiny? I don't know. I know you you have a sense of destiny. I don't know that I do. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about that as you talk mm-hmm. because I feel like I've I, I feel like I would say I've followed a thread mm-hmm. that God gave me a thread mm-hmm. that has taken me places I never dreamed I would go, mm-hmm. and I just sort of and it unfolds, it happens, it comes, yeah. and I say yes, 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 and so as I look back, mm-hmm. I can see. I could use the word destiny. Yeah. But I think I think of destiny as you're talking about it, sort of like, here comes the dove. Mm-hmm. This is yours to do. I've anointed you for this. Is this what you're talking about? I like your word anointing, and I thank you for introducing it because I think anointing is an important word. Because when, when that kind of anointing happens, then... It's usually, it's often recognized mm-hmm. by others and then, and you realize that there's a path, you know, that is yours to walk and you're not questioning it all the time, even though you want to probably. But I think anointing is a, is a beautiful, deeply spiritual word to put into a conversation like this, that there are moments when there's an anointing on someone to do something and those who can and recognize it will at that moment follow. Mm-hmm. Others may not be able to get on board, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. The anointed one doesn't foist it or force it on anyone, but there's invitation always involved to join in, and God's able to work. And And I I really like the language of anointing, too, when you think about things like succession in, in ministry. I've always felt that um, it's more than skills and competencies. Mm-hmm. It's it's always, is there an anointing? And, and I, I'm reminded of Amen. Moses again I'm, uh, when... God said to him, this job is too much for you, but I'm going to give some of your spirit Mm -hmm. to other leaders and they will help you with leadership. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's all about that. That is about anointing. And it tells me that anointing is real. I believe Mm -hmm. that biblically and theologically that anointing is real Mm -hmm. um, and that we see it in the scriptures over and over again. Yes, I agree. And Jesus did it with his disciples when he He blessed them. Go and do what I do. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So. Oh, let's just pray that we will be able to discern, to discern it, all of us, you know, when we're supposed to follow, when we're supposed to lead, when we're supposed to be the loyal opposition. <laughs> this is this is the stuff of discernment, and this is what our spiritual practices and our spiritual directors help us to discern. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was a beautiful conversation, and I appreciate so much being in it with you, Adele. Thank you, Ruth. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts to choose from, and I'm grateful you have spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation by joining a transforming community. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. Also, thanks for your support of the podcast and the work of the Transforming Center. 
If you have enjoyed the conversation, please rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can become a partner and receive exclusive content by visiting patreon.com slash transformingcenter.